pieces of poetry. The aim of this podcast is to introduce you to poets in a relaxed and easy format and emphasise the accessibility of their work without getting bogged down in all the academia that often is a bar to just reading and enjoying poetry. This episode is on Stevie Smith. She was a poet, essayist and novelist and wrote nine volumes of poetry and three novels. She's best known for her poem, Not Waving But Drowning. She was born in Hull in 1902. Her father was a shipping agent and when her parents' marriage broke down, he left and headed off to sea to work on a shipping liner. Stevie was born Florence Margaret Smith, but she acquired the name Stevie much later, when she was out horse riding with a friend, and a passerby shouted, Come on Stevie, referring to Steve Donahue, a famous flat racing jockey in the 1920s, probably because she was so small. When she was three, Stevie moved with her mother and elder sister Molly to Palmer's Green, a suburban area of North London, where she lived until her death at 69. When she was quite young, her mother became ill, and she and her sister were then brought up by her mother's sister, Madge Smith, who she called the Lion Aunt. Madge was a feminist who said she had no patience with men and encouraged a vigorous independent spirit in her two nieces. After attending a secretarial school, Stevie worked as a secretary to Sir Neville Pearson, a newspaper publisher for 35 years. The poem Not Waving But Drowning was published in 1957 and in polls of the UK's favourite poems is always pretty close to the top. So here it is. Not Waving But Drowning Nobody heard him, the dead man, but still he lay moaning. I was much further out than you thought, And not waving, but drowning. Poor chap, he always loved larking, and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. Oh no, 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 it was too cold always. Still the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life, and not waving, but drowning. She said she got the idea of the poem after hearing a story in a newspaper of someone who befell the same fate. This this man she read about was out at sea and a group of his friends were on the beach and they thought he was waving to them. There are three voices in the poem, the narrator, the dead man and a general crowd voice. It starts with the narrator introducing the dead man with his moaning. We know from these lines that the man is dead. It's final, but the fact that we hear him moaning allows for the continuity of his presence in the poem. And then the famous line, not waving but drowning. These lines have a great impact, as you've got the contrast of the waving joy of a greeting with a man's desperate predicament of drowning. It's this metaphor which encapsulates, well, whatever comes to mind, putting a brave face on it, pretending cheerily to being well and in control, but really things not going so well underneath. A condition which all of us can relate to in one way or another. The poem states that the man loved larking, but that seems like a frontal facade hiding how he really felt. Then the crowd describes the man's fate in the water. It must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. 
It's a long line followed by a short one, stopping the reader suddenly before the man corrects the previous assumption. It wasn't his heart stopping suddenly. Oh no, 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 it was too cold always. He's always been in this state of being cold, isolated, distant all his life. This isn't just a temporary state, which could be interpreted metaphorically in the first verse with I was much further out than you thought, or literally as being out of depth and too far away from the shore. It's permanent, as he states in the penultimate line, I was much too far out all my life. The poem is written in three verses of four line each called a quatrain. The ends of these lines usually rhyme in some way, but don't have to. The second and fourth lines rhyme in the second verse with the words dead and said, but they don't appear to rhyme in the first and last verses with the words moaning and drowning. It's nearly rhyming, but not quite. This off-rhyme, as it's called, is a technique which Stevie Smith used often, and here accentuates how unsettling the poem is, instead of what would have been tighter and cleaner if these lines rhymed. Stevie Smith is known as a poet who had a preoccupation with death. She was quite frail as a child, was often ill, and when she was five she had tuberculosis and spent three years in a hospital in Broadstairs, Kent. From the unhappiness of that time caused by the confinement of these years, her constant frailty and illness, and possibly the abandonment by her father, she said her preoccupation with death started, and she often referred to death as a friend. Whether it's a personification of death in the poem The River Deben, where death sits in the boat with her, and his face is shrouded, but he smiles, I see, or welcoming death in her last poem, where she beckons, Come death, do not be slow. She suffered from bouts of depression, and did attempt suicide in 1953, after which she was invalided out and left her secretary job with a full pension. She was single most of her life, although she had relationships with men, and there is speculation she had relationships with women. One biographer believes she did have a relationship with an unnamed woman, whilst another vehemently rejects this. There are also rumours that she had an affair with George Orwell, who she was friends with. She lived with her aunt all her life, and possibly didn't want to risk any restriction on her independence by being in a relationship or marrying. Here's one of her poems along this theme. To the tune of the Coventry Carol. The nearly right, and yet not quite, in love is wholly evil. And every heart that loves in part is mortgaged to the devil. I loved or thought I loved in sort. Was this to love akin? To take the best and leave the rest and let the devil in? O lovers true, and others too, whose best is only better. Take my advice, shun compromise, forget him and forget her. The poem's title, which refers to the medieval Coventry Carol, possibly suggests a disapproval of the social and religious conventions which can make marriage an obligation rather than a choice. It took her a long time to get her poetry published. After presenting her poems to a few publishers and not getting anywhere, one of them suggested that she should write a novel, which she did in 1936. It was called Novel on Yellow Paper, 
written on the yellow paper of the office she worked in. When the novel became a modest success the year after, her first collection of poetry, entitled A Good Time Was Had By All, was published. Stevie Smith's poetry often has a nursery rhyme quality, and lots of her poems have her drawings beside them, which enhance this feeling. It leaves you trying to interpret what the accompaniment of the drawing reveals about the poem, but a lot of them seem quite random. Here's one of these nursery rhyme types of poems. Miss Ponsifort sang at the top of her voice, Sing Tiri Liri Liri down the lane, and nobody knew what she sang about, Sing Tiri Liri Liri all the same. Here's another with a bit of a sinister feel to it. Bogface. Dear little Bogface, why are you so cold? And why do you lie with your eyes shut? You are not very old. I am a child of this world and a child of grace. And mother, I shall be glad when it is over. I am Bogface. She never gave any clues to who Bogface was. The widely held view is that Stevie Smith was an atheist, but the large number of poems she wrote about God and religion suggests she spent a long time getting to that conclusion. Here's a poem where she wrestles with this subject. The Reason My life is vile, I hate it so. I'll wait a while, and then I'll go. Why wait at all? Hope springs alive. Good may befall, I yet may thrive. It is because I can't make up my mind if God is good, impotent or unkind. Stevie Smith has legions of fans, including the poet Sylvia Plath, who said she was a desperate Stevie Smith addict, and Philip Larkin, who wavered in how much he liked her work, but campaigned for her poetry to be given more critical attention, and said it stayed in your head a long time after you had stopped reading it. She became increasingly well-known throughout her life, corresponding and socialising with artists and writers of the same period, and was famed for the live readings of her poetry, performed in a haunting, sometimes shrieking voice, and there were many broadcasts of her poems on the BBC. She also worked as an essayist and reviewer for The Observer for decades. She died in 1971 of a brain tumour. Glenda Jackson played Stevie Smith in a film about her life based on the play by Hugh Whitemore. Stevie Smith loved pets and wrote many poems about cats and dogs. Her dog named Beaver appears in a lot of her poetry. She published a book called Cats in Colours, which featured pictures of her cats with captions and quirky thoughts. So she was ahead of her time with cat memes. To finish with, Here's a poem of hers about a breakup featuring Cat's Paws called Pad Pad. Pad Pad I always remember your beautiful flowers and the beautiful kimono you wore when you sat on the couch with that tigerish crouch and told me you loved me no more. What I cannot remember is how I felt when you were unkind. All I know is if you are unkind now, I should not mind. Ah me, the power to feel exaggerated, angry and sad. The years have taken from me. Softly I go now. Pad, pad. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The next one will be on the poet Seamus Heaney.